Hi, my name is Sandra of the I Got Problems podcast. It's a show with two girls and one goal, which is highlighting problems of today and breaking them down to simplistic explanations, as well as educating those who may not be aware. It's an open platform for conversations on problematic issues that are either being discussed or ignored, and to bring further awareness through varied opinions and our experiences while offering possible solutions. We don't just call out these problems, we dissect them, discuss them, and then we laugh at our pain. So join us weekly for a new problematic issue like gender inequality, racism, pay gaps, colorism, relationships, and even sex as we combat one problem at a time. See you next week. Something appropriate for us as a message. Um, and the only song I can really kind of think of. Howdy, hey everyone. How's it going? It's Carissa, and this is Beauty Unlocked. This is the second time I have to do this because I made sure that everything was okay. And then I started recording, and then I played it back, and I was like, why can't I hear anything? And it was the volume of the mic. And I was like, well then, we're we're off to a great start there. <laughs> but welcome, welcome. How's everyone holding up? I'm trying to... I'm, ho- I'm trying to hold down the fort he- over here, trying not to lose my mind. But I'm hoping that everyone is doing well. No one's having like meltdowns because of all these retrogrades and all these cosmic shifts that are not delicious at this point. <laughs> A lot of emotions, as always, running high. <laughs> you guys are probably thinking, what is she talking about? I mean, if you're, if you're not new to this podcast, you guys know about the fuckery and shenanigans that goes on around here. (laughs) To those that are new, welcome and good luck. Buckle up, as I say. (laughs) So if you were listening attentively to the beginning of this this podcast, (laughs) you heard from Sandra from the I Got Problems podcast. She and Dwayne, they, they both host the I Got Problems podcast. And seriously, it is a great podcast. They're really is no topic off limits. I just finished yesterday. I finished listening to (laughs) um, one of their episodes regarding fetishes. And you guys are probably thinking, of course you would listen to that one, Carissa. No, (laughs) I mean, yes, but in the sense of I did listen to to some others. I'm falling behind on I'm listening to so many podcasts. I'm falling behind. (laughs) Yeah, so you guys should definitely, definitely check out the I Got Problems podcast. Really, no topic is off limits. The vibes that both of them have is really, it's incredible. Some laughs uh, along the way. And they, they talk about they talk about it all. I mean, they've, they've done an episode on colorism, on feminine hygiene products, on um, fetishes, like I said, uh, online dating. I mean, so definitely, if you should go support a podcast, go and support theirs. They're two awesome queens, and I love their vibes. So go and check out I Got Problems podcast. So last week, we discussed Fiji. Bula from Fiji. Howdy, hey. I hope you guys enjoyed that that um, last week's episode. Um, I know it was the longest. I keep on saying that at the end or beginning of this podcast. And I feel like each week, (laughs) the podcast is going like, is getting longer and longer. Last week's episode was like almost an hour long, but there was just so much to discuss and there's still so much to discuss and so much to like find out. Like I said, we should all take a field trip to Fiji 
Come on, you guys. You know you guys want to go to Fiji. And we would have a blast, get up to a whole bunch of nonsense, but as well, do a lot of research because that would be the whole point of actually going to Fiji. And now everybody's like, yeah, that's not going to be happening. Like everyone's thinking, yeah, like snorkeling and beaches and amazing food and like meeting amazing people. Yes to all that, but also to some research. <laughs> So if you haven't checked out episode 17, Bula from Fiji, go and check it out after you listen to this. Just saying. <laughs> so finally, we're getting to the part of where I tell you guys what we are discussing today. Are you ready? Here we go. Buckle up. So this week, huh, this week we're going to delve into the ever-present sexualization and objectification of women in modern society. Now, this, this, uh, I decided to, because <laughs> there's so much to cover, I, I don't want to make your ear holes bleed. So I decided to actually either make it into a two or three parter. <laughs> I'm already saying this just to prepare you guys. This is how it's going to be broken up. Like today, we're going to talk about the sexualization and objectification of women. And I'm going to look at the definitions. And I'm also going to mention about two articles that have been um, written regarding these two topics and how deeply ingrained it is in our society to the point of where we might not even be aware of it. And I'm cer certainly guilty of this. I mean, when we look at, at media or even like um, advertisements, printed advertisements, it's so, well, we're going to get into it. I mean, it's just you're so not aware of it. And so also we're going to discuss the psychological effects of sexualization and objectification um, has. And then next week, I'm going to talk about sexualization and objectification of women of color. And then the third part will be discussing like the objectification of men. Men, I have not forgotten you. Those who identify as male, I have not forgotten you. I will be discussing you. So that's how it's going to be broken down. I don't think it's going to be one after the other. There will be a break in between with a bonus episode. I cannot believe we're already at the end of June. And I'm like, wh where did this month go? So what does it all mean? Let's look at how sexualization is defined. So sexualization is to make something sexual in character or quality or to become aware of sexuality, especially in relation to men and women. Sexualization is linked to sexual objectification, which we're going to look at a bit later. So according to the APA or American Psychological Association, sexualization occurs when individuals are regarded as sex objects and evaluated in terms of their physical characteristics and sexiness. I want you to think about what I just said, and I'm going to repeat it. Sexualization occurs when individuals are regarded as sex objects and evaluated in terms of their physical characteristics and sexiness. So in study after study, findings have indicated that women more often than men, although it's more, it's more of a modern phenomenon with men. I cannot believe I just said phenomenon, but it is um, with men. Women are more often portrayed in a sexual manner. So examples of this is dressed in revealing clothing with bodily postures or facial expressions that imply, imply sorry, sexual readiness. 
and hence they're objectified, so used as a decorative object or as body parts rather than a whole person. So in addition to this, there is a narrow and unrealistic standard of physical beauty, which is heavily emphasized. And these are the models of femininity presented for young girls to study and to emulate. So women who embrace their sexual desires are considered to be sexy and attractive to men who want nothing more than to have a woman as a sex toy. In the eyes of men, women that practice this behavior serve the pure purpose of providing satisfaction and showcasing their human nature. Mm -hmm. All right. So according to the Media Education Foundation's Killing Us Softly 4, Advertising's Image of Women, the sexualization of girls in media and the ways women are portrayed in the dominant culture are detrimental to the development of young girls as they are developing their identities and understanding themselves as sexual beings. There's also been studies and reports that have found that sexual sexualization of younger children is becoming increasingly more common in advertisements. <clears throat> Research has linked the sexualization of young girls to negative consequences for girls and society as a whole, finding that the viewing of sexually objectifying material can contribute to body dissatisfaction, eating disorders, low self-esteem, depression, and depressive effects. The APA, as mentioned, American Psychological Association, also argues that the sexualization of young girls contributes to sexist attitudes within society and a societal tolerance of sexual violence. Taking a deep breath. Taking an ever so deep breath. All right, so that was sexualization, the meaning, the effects it might have. Now we're going to look at sexual objectification. And we're, I'm not only going to focus on sexual object, objectification, but objectification as a whole. Uh, so sexual objectification is the act of treating a person solely as an object of sexual desire. The term objectification more broadly means treating a person as a commodity or an object without regard to their personality or dignity. Objectification is most commonly examined at the level of society, but can also refer to the behavior of individuals and is a type of dehumanization. Now, this is a side note. Um, objectification of women is nothing new. Um, it's something that has occurred throughout history, throughout the different societies, throughout different cultures. I'm not going to go too deeply into it because we are focusing more on the modern aspect of it. But for centuries, we were considered property and something that is disposable and pawned for economic and social gains. And we can just see it throughout history. And I'm not going to cite a whole bunch of examples, but I could. Maybe that should be part four. Who knows? <laughs> so although both males and females can be sexually objectified, it is mainly associated with the objectification of women. And it is an important idea in many feminist theories and psychological theories derived from them. So sexual objectification of girls and women contribute to gender inequality, and many psychologists associate objectification with a host of physical and mental health risks in women. So as mentioned, the sexual objectification of women involves them being viewed primarily as an object of male sexual desire, rather than as a whole person. 
Although opinions differ as to which situations are objectionable, many see objectification of women taking place in the sexually oriented depictions of women in advertising, art and media, pornography, and the occupations of exotic dancing and sex work, and women being brazenly evaluated or judged sexually or aesthetically in public spaces and events such as beauty contests. Some feminists and psychologists argue that sexual objectification can lead to negative psychological effects, including, as we mentioned uh, when we were talking about sexualization, um, eating disorders, depression, and sexual dysfunction, and can give women negative self-image because of the belief that their intelligence and competence are currently not being, nor will ever, be acknowledged by society. Ah, seriously. So I'm going to give you guys a quick example of this. This is from personal experience many, many times over. <laughs> By the way I looked, and I'm not saying that society hasn't put a pressure on or family has not put a pressure on me to be a certain way, to look a certain way, should we say. Back in the day when I used to go out, because <laughs> now I'm a self-proclaimed hermit, and not because of quarantine, just because I can't, I can't deal sometimes with society. But um, back in the day when I used to go out and, you know, I would meet people or meet guys or whatever, I remember like I would start speaking to them and one of the comments that were, was made and I heard so much of throughout, I don't know, my life, um, especially from my 20s up to like now, um, was that, oh, wow, you're really smart. You know, and and I would I would be like okay, you know you're kind of like dumbfounded and you don't know like you're just so shocked as in like what do you mean? It's like as if they were kind of giving like a backhanded compliment, and I would just be shocked because I would be like well, what do you mean? And there and sometimes I would ask. And I've asked maybe like three, four times. And then when I heard it after that, I was like, well, I don't need to ask anymore. But um, those three, four times that I did ask, they would be like, oh, because, you know, you're you're pretty or you're beautiful. And I'm just like, and? And it's just like, oh, well, you know, and you're smart. And I'm like, okay, all right. So what does that mean? Are you saying that because you think I'm aesthetically pleasing to your eye, that means that I cannot have a certain level of intelligence i don't i don't understand the reasoning behind making those kind of comments of oh well you're smart like as if you're like so surprised that somebody can or should i say that a woman can be smart what and it's just a lot of them would just say well yeah because you know you're beautiful and you're smart and i was like in my head i was like okay all right well this isn't going to go any further than this um, but it's and, and then I just stopped asking after those three, four times because it would be the same answer over and over again, you know, which is, well, you're 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 good looking and you're hence, you know, we didn't think that you would be smart as if what I look like matters on the level of my intelligence. I don't know if this has happened to any of anybody else. Has anybody else ever gotten those kind of comments? Because apparently I have. And I'm thinking, listen, I have my moments where I go blank. I'm not going to deny it. There, I mean, you guys know. And so, you know, it's just sometimes my mind is all over the place. And I'm not really 100% focused on a certain whatever. 
something that's going on, you know, and so I just draw a blank. But again, it happens to all of us. But in the sense of I don't, uh, I, I cannot be the only one where that comment has been made. You know, that backhanded com compliments. I don't, I, I mean, I'm just like, so must I dumb myself down? And I have actually a lot of times, especially in my 20s, early, early 20s, dumb myself down so that the opposite sex wouldn't feel threatened by my intelligence. But, you know, and I'm not like the most intelligent person, trust me, uh, I seriously am not. But in the sense of I, I am guilty of dumbing myself down in order not to intimidate the opposite sex. And now I'm thinking, well, fuck that. <laughs> if you feel intimidated, that's on you. That's not on me. But yeah, so I need to know if anybody else has ever had to deal with that kind of backhanded compliment of where people see you as aesthetically pleasing to the eye, sexually attractive, and immediately they think, well, she must be stupid if she's good looking. The fuck? And it's also just to, <laughs> just a little more of a side note here. It's weird because I've never had to do that with my female counterparts at all whatsoever, dumb myself down or have a need to dumb myself down. And never ever has a woman made a comment or a backhanded compliment, I don't know, about, oh, you're good looking and you're smart. I have never heard that from other women um, that I have talked to, that I have met up with or anything. It's just always the opposite sex that makes that comment. And I'm just like, interesting, very, very interesting. And then people wonder why I'm a, I'm a hermit, basically. Well, well, the amount of shit that I've heard in my life, I'm thinking, oh, right, I need to withdraw myself. I need to go live in a forest or in the middle of the woods and be eventually become that old crone that you'll hear cackling at the back of the woods um, in my little, you know, my little makeshift house or whatever surrounded by cats and become the cat lady. Seriously, because I mean, wow, seriously, wow. That little tirade is over and we're going back to the topic at hand. <laughs> so how objectification has affected women and society in general is often a topic of academic debate. Um, with some saying that girls' understanding of the importance of appearance in society may contribute to feel feelings of fear, shame, and disgust, especially during the transition to womanhood. And others saying that young women are especially susceptible to objectification as they are often taught that power, respect, and wealth can be derived from one's outward appearance. Mm-hmm. God, I can cite so many examples. <sighs> I probably will <laughs> a bit later. I just finished with one tirade. I'm not going to go immediately into another one. <laughs> I'm just like, what? So that's the definition of sexualization, sexual objectification, and objectification in general, and some of the psychological effects it, it has on women. Um, like I said, we're going to discuss also women in, of color and um, of men, the objectification of men as well. But I can't just, I can't. I can't put it all in one episode because we're going to be sitting here, kids, for about two hours. And I know, I know you don't want to be doing that. I know you have busy days. I get it. I know. I understand. <laughs> so I should have actually said like where I like where I've gotten my research from. Seriously, I have found so many academic papers, so many articles written about this. I mean, that's why I've decided to break it down because a lot of articles were putting everything together. And I'm like, ooh, this is this is a bit confusing. Wikipedia, I have 
gotten some stuff from Wikipedia. Um, I've gotten, I've, I'm, oh, I have to post it all up. And also, if you go onto whether you're listening to me through Spotify or through Libsyn, um, I post where like the articles that I I am referencing in there, so you can click onto them. So yeah, and sometimes I put them on. I've been posting <laughs> sporadically at this point on the Facebook page and group because I I'm just so behind on work. But this article that I'm going to cite right now, it's um, it's called Toxic Culture 101, Understanding the Sexualization of Women. And I found it on msmagazine.com and it was written by Shadia Dusk. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Shadia Dusk. Um, Shadia Dusk is a licensed psychotherapist in Denver with a strong interest in feminine feminist issues. She has worked in the field of mental health since 2004 and has counseled hundreds of women and men struggling with anti-feminist messages in our society. So this article that Shadia wrote uh, was about four years old. It was written on April the 1st of 2016. All right, so Shadia writes, a year ago, so 2015, I decided to drive across the street from my office for lunch. I wanted to avoid the cat calls I endured the last time I had crossed this particular street when a middle-aged man yelled from his red Chevy truck, Ride my cock, baby. <clears throat> I wondered what it would be like not to feel like a sexual object on display. But I also wondered whether I'd rather be a woman who gets whistled at or the one who doesn't. As a psychotherapist, I meet hundreds of women who struggle with their body image or sexuality. These struggles show up as depression, anxiety, eating disorders, body dysmorphic disorders, obsessive compulsive disorders, reproductive concerns, parenting issues, or relationship crisis. I've also encountered increasing numbers of men dealing with relationship issues and loneliness. And I know firsthand the discomfort of embodying what many people see as unattractive. She goes on to say that she's um, a Middle Eastern American and she doesn't fit the, Euro the, the typical Eurocentric model of beauty. She goes on to say that when she was a young girl, she drew pictures only of blonde, blue-eyed princesses, perhaps in response to my blonde stepsister telling me that my skin was the color of poop. No matter how much I tried to dress myself up, I was still not white. Now that I understand how common body image struggles are, I've begun... I've begun to wonder who is really sick, my clients or our culture. I can tell you, I can tell you straight up, it's the fucking culture, all right? Ugh. So I spent the last year documenting pieces of the world around me, gathering evidence of a toxic cultural milieu. So then I'm going to actually, I'm going to sh um, share the article, but I'm going to be describing the pictures that she's referencing in this article specifically. I'll try to describe it the best as I, the best I can. It's not going to be perfect, but you know, you, you'll get a, a, a bit of an understanding. I had to actually go to the article itself and also magnify because your girl over here cannot see, um, can't see. Period. <laughs> All right. So, um, so she says that she spent the last year documenting pieces of the world around me. She said on my drive to work one day, she saw. <laughs> A Hooters sign, Secrets Adult Store. It's cheaper than dating. Toys Lingerie XXX. What is this? Bomb Squad. And another one which I cannot see, but it has a picture of 
um, a woman with a bit of a plunging neckline. What is that? Piper Piper Inn. I think it's called Piper Inn. It's because it's a little, like I've magnified it, but the image isn't too, too clear. But I think that's what it is, Piper Inn. She says, we are bombarded with hypersexualized images of females, so much so that most of us don't even notice them. And she's right, because in all honesty, it's so common that we just find it the new norm, which is horrific to think about. They are all around us like the air we breathe. Ooh. Messages so blatant they become invisible, encouraging the normalization of female objectification. With the rise of electronic technology and social media, and this is also back in 2016, the quantity and quality of these images have intensified. The internet pornography industry generates $13 billion per year. I think the number has risen, actually. Um, it's definitely risen in the past four years. And this is in the United States alone. It's $100 billion worldwide. What? It must have, I'm sure, for sure, that number has doubled. Bigger business than professional football, basketball, and baseball combined. And that's the internet pornography industry. Wow. Researchers reviewed over a thousand Rolling Stone cover images published over four decades and found that 11% of men and 44% of women appeared in sexualized images in the 1960s, compared to 17% of men and 83% of women in the 2000s. There is also the rise of the restaurant. Chain establishments featuring young, attractive servers in revealing uniforms. I think the, the, the beginning of this was like Hooters. But now there's more of them. According to an article written in 2015 by journalist Jillian Berman, sales at the Tilted Kilt, Twin Peaks, and Brick House have grown at a double-digit pace over the last year. And here we have um, a picture of three waitresses at the Tilted uh, Kilt. Well, basically, what we s their midriffs are exposed. What they're calling a kilt is not really a kilt it's a super short kind of mini skirt and the breasts are very prominent younger people are also increasingly exposed to sexual imagery in a 2010 uk study one third of 14 to 16 year olds reported they had first seen sexual images online when they were 10 or younger that is horrific i came across these ads in various women's magazines and in business insider in several medical office office waiting rooms, including a pediatrician's office. And here, okay, these ones, these images, okay, I definitely have to magnify more. Let's get to 150% magnification. So here we have, we have another advertisement that says, it's a miracle, they'll only notice your hair. And then I'm not too sure what they're, oh, what is this? Why is this so difficult to see? Um, I, yes, there, I think it's something about a hair care product and we're seeing people sitting at office desks looking at a woman that's passing by and we see her from behind. We see a little bit of her face from the side behind and for some reason her dress um, is accidentally tucked in so it's revealing a little bit of her butt, buttocks. Um, all right, so I don't know why they had to lift that part up in the back when they're talking about a hair care product. All right, here there's another two, well, there's six images in total. One of them, I'm not too sure 
what it is i would have to really magnify it more but you guys um when i post it up you guys will be able to have a look here we have burger king it it just tastes better and i see the <laughs> ah burger king it'll blow your mind away and they're showing their burger king super seven incher hint hint and they're showing a woman whose mouth is opening up it's kind of referencing basically like a little bit of oral sex basically um and also them saying bk super seven incher there you go and then we have another advertisement by dolce and gabbana um and it's showing two men uh one is kind of an onlooker and there's another man that's on top of a woman that's kind of on the floor and that just is very creepy in general because it's kind of giving way to again objectifying oh all of these are objectifying women somehow but in the sense of this is kind of a little bit like rape the rape culture kind of thing where there's this onlooker and this man is kind of taking advantage of this woman on the floor <sighs> Dolce & Gabbana hmm. and Burger King I will never look at you the same again According to social learning theory, audiences are more likely to be persuaded to buy a product if the advertising narrative is easily recognizable and frequently repeated. But if these ads rep represent what is easily recognizable and normal, what does that say about the health of our society? And how does all this really affect us? Again, it's one of these things where you, you see countless ad, uh, printed advertisements, you know, whether it be Dolce & Gabbana, Gucci and all this, again, being very sexually suggestive, but you don't really take a look at it to dissect it because you just, unfortunately, it is the new, uh, well, the new normal. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Hmm. Anyway. Everyone suffers from this constant emphasis on appearance as it encourages people to separate the body from the individual as a person. All women are affected regardless of whether they fit conventional standards of beauty and whether images depict women as active or passive. In this Dolce & Gabbana ad, the, the woman is very passive. In any case, the body becomes an object that exists for sexual pleasure, leading to self-objectification. Self-objectification, in turn, is connected to eating disorders, depression, and sexual dysfunction. Researchers have found a link between male partners' pornography use and women's lower self-esteem, higher negative effect, and relationship anxiety. Dozens of studies have also linked pornography use to sexual violence. Constant exposure to scenes displaying women as sex objects may encourage males to believe that they have a right to coerce women into sexual acts. But men also suffer emotionally and physically from hypersexualized images, as they too are portrayed as less than human. Um, we're not going to go too much into it because I'm going to discuss it in part three of this, but psychology researchers Linda Muses and colleagues showed that husbands who frequently use pornography experience more marital adjustment problems and poorer relationship quality. Men are also experiencing erectile dysfunction as nearly, uh, sorry, as early as 20, possibly resulting from desensitization to sexual imagery. And I think, I mean, I know that this is, this kind of study like focuses right there on men, but I think that we are all, because of the society we live in and the culture we live in, 
are desensitized to sexual imagery. I mean, it affects us all. Many men are starving for real human connection, but are only being taught to satiate their hunger in empty and unfulfilling ways. She continues to say, and she asks herself, is there hope for our society? I believe there is. I do believe there is too. She says that the first step is to increase awareness. We must be brave enough to see what's right in front of us and to question practices deemed normal and acceptable because they are not. I mean, that's m me putting my two cents in there. We can see efforts in this direction, such as the Dove campaign for real beauty, which shows realistic body types and ads and sponsors projects to improve women's self-esteem. And we mentioned actually the Dove uh, campaign for real beauty, actually a few of their studies also and their campaigns back in episode one. Can you imagine? <laughs> Uh, Dear Kate, a woman's underwear company that rejects idealized models and airbrushing, and the always Like a Girl campaign, promoting female empowerment. While these are still companies uh, selling products, they have at least begun to offer more empowered and non-sexualized images of women. These media pioneers are the exception to the rule, but I hope that one day in my lifetime the rule will change. I hope so too. And she's, uh, she's showing here an ad... Um, by the company Dear Kate, which is showcasing different women uh, just uh, with different body types, and it's more realistic than what we are used to. Again, I will be posting this so you'll be able to have a chance to actually look at the images too. New research is promising. This recent study found that people, uh, that people more favorable evaluated brands that avoided sexualized ads compared to those that used them. Perhaps treating people with dignity and respect can sell products, and of course it can. And that's me putting, again, my two cents in there. Perhaps what we all want is culture where we can feel safe and authentic, where we all prefer to walk, not drive, across the street. So fucking very true. Um, she mentions a few studies within her article, actually, that you can uh, click on, and you guys will be able to click on it. I will be posting it, like I've mentioned, on the Facebook group and the Facebook page. On Instagram, it's a little bit different or difficult, I should say, to do that because I constantly have to, to change the website and everything. <laughs> so it's a little bit more difficult to like pinpoint an exact with Instagram. So definitely follow us on Facebook and on the Facebook group and the Facebook page. All right, so this is the second article that I found and it was really interesting. It's, in it's titled, Four Ways Men Are Taught to Objectify Women from Birth. And I feel that I can't really pinpoint it to, like, men. I feel like also this pertains to women because, well, we live in the same society and we are exposed to many of the same things. So the article was written four years ago um, on June 19th. So it is actually a year uh, four years old. And it was written by Robin Tran. So Robin says, I spent many years viewing women as objects of my affection rather than complex people with feelings, wants, and needs of their own. While it doesn't excuse my behavior, I was taught at a very early age to view women as prizes to win. The belief that women are trophies still permeates through our culture, whether it's in the media, education, or simple everyday conversation. When we're taught that an entire gender exists purely to satisfy others' needs, it dehumanizes millions of people, and it's very difficult to have empathy for someone that you don't view as a real person. 
It encourages the objectification of women because we're so frequently represented as rewards for men who vie for us even though our desires are rarely, if ever, taken into consideration. It wasn't until I actually inquired about the lives of women that I realized I had been dehumanizing and objectifying women for many years. I was initially shocked by my mindset, as I had always prided myself in not being someone who would ever partake in blatant sexism. However, the objectification of women is so pervasive that I wasn't even aware that I was complicit in it. And that's the thing. It's so in our face, we consider it such a norm that we don't realize that not only men, but women also objectify women. And then it leads to self-objectification, as we mentioned earlier on. <clears throat> that's my that's by the way that's my two cents not robin's <laughs> it's very likely that there are many people particularly men who don't realize that they're perpetuating a culture that dehumanizes and objectifies women robin says that she wants to continue to talk about that so here are some ways the that women are objectified in everyday ways and why it's harmful so the first one is media teaches us that women should be vied for my first memory of where I learned to objectify women started while watching the sitcom Family Matters. Seriously, I remember watching this back in the 90s when we were living in the States. So where the character Laura Winslow is Steve Urkel's love interest. Love interest, and this is in quotes, is put it, putting it lightly though. She is more like his obsession. His insistence on repeatedly pushing himself into her life is represented as charming, cute, and nerdy. In reality, it's destructive, objectifying, and dehumanizing. Unfortunately, when I was growing up, the vast majority of TV shows had this trope. A man is in love with a woman, and her function is simply to be his love interest. As a child, I spent decades viewing women in this manner. I thought women were simply the plot devices in my life with no personalities. I viewed them as extensions of my own ego, just like I was taught rather than people with minds of their own. I can remember countless times when I'd say something flirtatious to a female friend and she wouldn't respond. And I was convinced that she's I she either didn't hear me or didn't understand that I was flirting with her. This has happened to me also. Not uh, like in the sense of this is what men have done to me too. So embarrassingly, I would try harder to get her attention. This, of course, eventually cost me several friendships. And in hindsight, those women were right in cutting off communication with me. This was partially due to an old TV sitcom trope where a man will throw sexual innuendos at a woman and the joke is that she complete, she's completely unaware of what's happening. She, she'll either be staring off into space or not paying attention and she'll look up and ask, what did you say? And the man will respond, oh, nothing, I didn't say anything. This is followed by laughter from the studio audience, which it, to me was affirmation that women are completely oblivious to men's ooh, advances. In essence, women operated as empty vessels for men to project their wants and needs onto. In these TV shows and many comedy movies, it's a rarity for men to inquire about the woman's wants and needs. Robin says, I don't know many or any honestly scenes when a man ever makes an effort to give or to even get to know a woman on any level that recognizes her humanity and autonomy. When women are represented this way, it encourages men to mistreat and disregard them or to treat them as comedy fodder because the perception is that they aren't bright enough to know what's going on anyway. No, we, we, we are not oblivious. We choose not to respond, period. That's it. <laughs> Perhaps even more destructive is that it encourages men to be more aggressive when women are not acting the way they should be acting, when they aren't responding in the way men would like them to respond. 
This is coercive, controlling, and wholly damaging to an entire gender. Yes, and I've actually been in this situation. Lord knows. And I know I am not the only one. People should be treated with respect and empathy, not dehumanized and objectified, and we need to be better about representing women more positively in television and media. Women should be represented as the well-rounded people that they are, not empty plot devices. Pretty much. Number two, children are encouraged to follow rigid gender roles in school. And this is very true. When I was a teenager, a huge part of high school was the dances. Gossip would travel as students would discuss which boy asked which girl to the dance. I think this is like a blast from the past. I think we can all relate to this. And the presumption that it was always up to the boys to be proactive, while girls would pick the suitor that she liked the best. The rigid gender roles were already in place, and we were all just playing our parts. So very goddamn true. The gender roles become even more evident with the Sadie Hawkins dance, where the girls would ask the boys. While this may seem like a good idea in theory, it further proved that girls asking boys was an anomaly and not to be encouraged outside of this context. Lord knows. E oh, seriously. Yes. The Ooh. Mm. Anyway. Girls who asked boys to other dances or any other dates were viewed as aggressive and or desperate, so they were largely silenced from voicing their wants and needs. I believe that this mentality carries into adulthood. Yes, it does, because I've been on the side of where I would ask a, a guy on a date and it would just be like, what? Like, are you serious? And it's just like, well, yes. So you're just automatically judged as being aggressive when you're trying to be proactive. And it's just like, what the hell? Well, okay, well, fair enough. Thought, like, I liked you and I would ask you on a date and then kind of gets turned around as I'm being pushy, aggressive, and that I'm desperate, apparently. Lord. Anyway, if only people knew. <sighs> so um, Robin says, I remember many instances years before my transition into a woman when my classmates of all genders would encourage me to ask girls out. When I would proclaim that I was either too scared or wasn't interested in asking anyone out, I was mocked for not being man enough. I was told to stop acting like a girl. I wasn't aggressive enough to their satisfaction. Ah, uh, if only we could like monitor monitor the language we use and understand that words are so detrimental, especially to the mental and emotional effects it has on people that we carry it on to our adulthoods. And then we're trying to fix all the traumas. Hmm. Uh, this is not Robin, by the way. This is just me again putting my two cents in there. <laughs> I believe this does a lot of long-term damage to the way that men view women, as the constant instances to ask women out does, doesn't stop in high school. And with women being taught to be silent about their wants and needs, it makes for a damaging combination where men begin viewing women as numbers, as ideas, and as objects, and women are discouraged to speak out against it. Robin continues to say, in instances when women speak out against being treated as objects, some men build resentment because they feel like women aren't operating in their roles correctly. Go fuck yourselves. This is largely why so many men take rejection so harshly. They feel like failures because their role is to be proactive and pursue women. And when they're told no, it's a rejection of their manhood. Since they don't realize that they've been taught toxic ideas from a young age, they believe that women are the ones to blame for not following a script. <sighs> you know, this is why I love writers like Robin, because they ha are self-aware, they are 
taking that action to correct things, to kind of fix the traumas that have been with us even before we were born. It's incredible, seriously. And this is why I just, oh, I love writers like Robin. I love you, Robin. <laughs> in reality, it's due to our culture reinforcing damaging stereotypes that hurt everybody in the end. So number three is cis-heteronormative language discourages people to be anything other than what their gender roles prescribe. All right, so before I go into this, I want to kind of take a moment to, to go into what cis what does it mean cis heteronormative and take a little bit more from that we're hearing more and more like the word cisgender and i wanted to explain what cisgender is so cisgender is a term for people whose gender identity matches their sex assigned at birth so for an example someone who identifies as a woman and was assigned female at birth is a cisgender woman cis men a person who was born male and whose gender identity is male all right heteronormative this relates to behavior or attitudes consistent with traditional male or female gender roles and the assumption of heterosexuality as the norm so this is what is our heteronormative culture that basically there are just this is this is how it is there are two genders apparently <laughs> this is what our society thinks and it's not true that there are men and there are women but it's not like this at all <laughs> just to be clear and i'm for one one of those people who say that sometimes nature gets it wrong all right so those for example that were born with male genitalia and were assigned at birth the male gender, but don't feel like that, it, it pro poses apparently a problem for society. Well, you, you were born a man, so you must be a man. No, absolutely not. It is not like that. And this was the case for Robin. And we, we mentioned a bit of it that she, she transitioned into a woman. And this is why I say sometimes nature gets it wrong. Do you know what I mean? So this is why these gender roles in this heteronormative society and it's just it's just so wrong. And we have to this is why I say that we have to be very aware about the language we use and how it affects people. Because it would I feel like we just we just place it on that. There are two genders. That's it. It isn't like that. And some people that were born a certain gender do not feel of that gender. You know, and I'm, yes, I was born woman and I identify as a woman. I was born a woman at birth. I identify as woman. Um, but there's others in my place who are not like that, who do not feel like that. So I feel like we have to be very, very conscious, very aware about the language that we use and that gender means nothing at the end of the day. Absolutely nothing. Just because you were born a certain way does not mean that you identify as that gender that's why it's all about gender fluidity and being accepting that there are there are oh i'm telling you this culture this patriarchy this heteronormative culture that we live in is just it's just too this is why i'm a hermit god damn it i am a hermit because of these reasons and i found another article where the the one of the quotes from it was heteronormativity is established before kids are even out of diapers and it is so fucking true seriously 
let's be more self-aware guys let us educate ourselves let us educate each other and let us not kind of put a hand up and be like no you are wrong uh no 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 society is wrong with the labels it places on people that's all i have to say so robin continues Everyday cis-heteronormative language, the way that we speak that presumes that all people are cisgender and straight, is domineering and exclusionary, and it discourages people from acting outside of their roles. When we discuss gender, there's still a presumption that people are either, like I mentioned, 100% male or 100% female, even though there are dozens of different genders. All right. We simply say men and women, which is very restricting and limiting language. We still say ladies and gentlemen instead of folks. So when someone is pregnant, the first question we ask is, are you having a boy or a girl? And this is even before the child is born. This, their gender is or already predetermined. This cis-heteronormative language also includes intersex, non-binary, agender, and transgender people, along with many other people, uh, other groups and people from, from this conversation. So in addition to the presumption of gender, there is still an assumption that everybody is straight. Wake up call, not everybody is straight. <laughs> when I hear parents talking to their children, they still ask, assuming their children are cisgender, the boys are asked if they're interested in any girls, and the girls are asked if they're interested in any boys. This plants a seed in, a chi in children's brains that being heterosexual and cisgender is normal, while anything else is strange and or abnormal. So we can already see that it's ingrained in our language. This is why I'm saying we have to be very aware about how we speak to our, to our children, to those that are parents, and also as a society as a whole to understand that there are not just two genders. It isn't like that. And that there is nothing in this world that is abnormal. I will tell you what's abnormal is that we believe that something that is different is abnormal and that is not okay. We should be accepting and loving. And that's the message as always towards the end of the, to the, of the show. Love each other, love yourselves. Spread some of that sweet, sweet love. Spread awareness and educate yourselves, you guys. I'm not at the end of the show, by the way. Just to let you know. So Robin continues saying, my father in particular was livid when I acted feminine as a child. He informed me that since I was his son, I was never to act girly because it was gay. It didn't matter to him that I was attracted to other women. He used gay to mean feminine because there weren't any other words for him to describe my behavior. And he saw femininity as an inherently weak quality. He believed that the only function of femininity was, to, was attracting men. He told me that since I was his son, I was going to be the head of the family because that was my role. And any type of femininity would go against his perception of what a leader should be. Uh, uh, uh. Robin continues to say that con uh, conversely, other members of my family would badmouth their friend's daughters who dared to become ambitious and work for a living, stating that it's not attractive when women strive for more. The hell? Women were supposed to be dutiful homemakers who supported their husbands and remained in the background like props. Ha <laughs> ha, fuck you, patriarchy. Because of these reasons, coming out as a transgender woman to my parents was very difficult because I didn't, and still don't, have the language to fully articulate to them what I'm going through. Due to our limiting exclusionary language, the best they can do to comprehend my existence is to think of me as a boy who likes to look pretty. 
However, it's not just my family that thinks this way. When people find out that I'm a transgender woman, they automatically assume that I'm interested in men. They're almost always shocked to find out that I have a girlfriend, almost like they don't believe lesbians exist. They think that because I wear what is typically considered feminine clothing, I must be doing it primarily to attract men. They even take it as an invitation to send me inappropriate private messages. <sighs> God. In fact, one of the most common cis-heteronormative cis premises in stand-up comedy is male comics telling the women in the audience, you don't have to wear makeup, we'll sleep with you anyway. As if everything, everything women do is for them and for their attention. It doesn't occur to them that they could be doing it for themselves. Lord forbid. Lord forbid that we do something for ourselves. Ugh. All of these limiting ways of addressing people simply reinforces the damaging gender roles already in place. Unless a perceived 100% male is seeking out a perceived 100% female, many people still feel discomfort because they don't have the language to know how to address it. Robin says, we need to stop automatically assuming that someone is straight and cisgender. We need to learn how to expand our vocabulary. And this is very difficult to do because, again, it is ingrained deeply into society, into our cultures, and, and just into our way of thinking. Oh, by the way, that's me just saying, not Robin. And this is what Robin says. And use more inclusive language so that we can expand the way we speak about and think about other folks. I believe if we made these simple shifts in language, people will be encouraged to live more freely instead of fitting into the roles that restrictive language has put them in. So very true. So four, men are encouraged to believe that women are their property. And this has been going on for thousands of years. It's nothing. It's not even modern. It's just this is how it's been <laughs> for thousands of years. God damn it. To further illustrate the damaging effects of TV tropes where men uh, vie for women, uh, women are literally perceived as pieces of property that can be won, and this mentality can do significant damage to women. If you view people as property, there's a subconscious feeling that you can do whatever you want to them because you don't consider them fully formed human beings. We dehumanize by doing this. For example, if you own a product like a cell phone and the phone doesn't function the way you want it to, you might throw it, you might throw it due to frustration. The same theory applies to women when they are viewed as property. When they aren't acting accordingly, unfortunately, they can become more susceptible to abuse from their partners and victim blaming from others. And I have experienced this myself. There are outcries doubting women when they're abused because many people hold an underlying resentment that the woman deserved what happened to them because they weren't acting the way they were supposed to. Whenever a news story comes out about a man's horrific abuse against a woman, many internet commentators or haters talk about her like she's an object that disobeyed orders, especially if she ever dares to speak out against injustices or stand up for herself. Quickly, the conversation turns into the damage she is doing to the man's reputation as a result of her having the audacity to act like a human being. How dare she? Seriously, that's how, we, that's how many people like view it. What did you do to him? What did you do like that, you know, made him angry? The fuck? Absolutely nothing. As a result, the conversation about abuse generally centers around men and the anger and or embarrassment they feel about how their partners acted, while the horrible mistreatment of women is either dismissed or a secondary concern or ignored completely. It creates a lack of empathy for women because they have been reduced to plot devices, objects, and extensions of somebody else. 
This type of mentality needs to change. When women are attacked, people need to remember that these are human beings who are being attacked and it should be universally unacceptable behavior. And it should be universally unacceptable behavior because they're real people with real feelings, not just products that have to act a certain way. We are not fucking machinery. Regardless of how our body our body functions and everything, where I say it is like the most wondrous like machinery nature has created. Um, we're not machinery to function, to be switched on, switched off, you know, and by saying be quiet, stand there, do this, do that. No, what the fuck? Absolutely not. That's me, by the way, not Robin. From a very early age, we are we're taught stereotypes and roles to fill in order to maintain control and order in society. Go fuck yourselves. By doing so, we continue cycles that have been doing damage for decades, centuries, centuries. We need to be better about educating people at an early age about the dangers of perpetuating the gender roles. And we need to pinpoint all of the subtle ways that society pushes these ideas forth. I want you to question everything you see, whether you watch a, a, a show on Netflix, uh, Netflix or whether you, you watch a show on Hulu or you watch a movie, um, what you're reading, how... Are things being depicted? I want everyone to open their eyes, really open their eyes to how society is damaging us from a very early age by language, by images, by anything at this point. Because it is a vicious, vicious cycle and it is very difficult to stop something that has been going on for generations and generations and generations and is ingrained and instilled in us even before we are born. That's me, by the way, <laughs> saying that. It bears repeating, even though it should be obvious that women are real people and don't merely exist for other people's enjoyment. These harmful perceptions of women need to change. And we need to be better as a society and stop perpetuating, perpetuating the cycle of harmful ideas. So that comes to an end. I actually wanted to say that um, a little bit more about Robin Tran. She is a contributing writer for Everyday Feminism. She is a stand-up comedian and blogger, and she holds a BA in English from UC Irvine. In early 2015, Robin came out as a transgender woman and has written about her firsthand experiences ever since. She has performed at the Improv, Madhouse Comedy Club, and the Comed Comedy Palace, and her articles have been published, published in ExoJane and Time.com. So I really loved, like, Robin's article because... It's just, it just opens up your eyes and makes you realize even, you know, when she was talking about TV and the whole family matters issue. And then it came about like I was thinking, oh, all the other like TV shows I grew up watching as well. And I was like, it's true. There is, again, this vicious cycle that there's the woman. She's the man's, you know, is there to like kind of fulfill a man's obsession and his love interest and you know, there was never, eventually, as many times as the man would make advances and he would become more and more and more aggressive, eventually the woman would submit somehow and be like, oh, okay, you can take me out on a date. Do you see how damaging this is? And we still believe it in this society today. And this is a TV, uh, uh, there's still TV shows like this. I know this was a super long episode, but again, I just, I'm all about spreading awareness, spreading what I'm learning along this journey as well, and hopefully opening your eyes up to how damaging our society is is in general on a 
everyday basis. And to actually, when we do flip through a magazine, look at those advertisements, look at what's happening in the images. Because again, it's ingrained subconsciously, we just, we just see it as normal. The language that we use, we just see it as normal, but it isn't, it's damaging in so many ways. And then we're trying to heal all this trauma somehow. And it, it's, you know, it's so difficult. And I understand because again, I'm educating myself on matter, matters all the time. You know, and it's it's something where it's very difficult sometimes. I have to catch myself sometimes in the way I think, and I've mentioned this before, in the way I think, and then I'm thinking, well, where did that idea come from? It certainly didn't come from me. What is that remark you just made, Carissa? Is that a bit sexist? Are you being sexist? Are you being a judgmental little bitch? You are, and you need to stop that. I try to correct myself before I oh and I, by the way something else many people I noticed uh they speak without thinking I'm just and I've I've certainly been um <laughs> I've been um I'm guilty of this too and I know that many of you are too sometimes in the heat of the moment we can say things that are so damaging we're not even talking about the physical aspect of you know being abusive because there's, there's more to abuse than just physical abuse. There's the emotional, there is the mental abuse. And sometimes in the heat of the moment, things can be said that later on, in hindsight, we regret terribly. So please, please love each other and love yourselves. Educate each other. Educate yourselves. Bring awareness to yourselves and to others. This is so important because if we want change, we have to change ourselves the way we think and we have to be open and not immediately judge things and say, well, this is abnormal. It isn't abnormal. Who told you it's abnormal? And I'm not saying if you're, you know, if it's posing a danger to someone or to themselves, I'm not talking about that. And that's not even abnormal behavior. That, that is behavior that's warranted of help. But in the sense of we need to stop labeling, we need to stop putting labels on things we need to be very aware of the language we use on a daily basis and we need to be self-aware and like robin here who caught herself and did the that analysis of oh you know what like yeah i was objectifying women and that's because i was taught from an early age to do it and she's just like oh my god i have been sexist i am guilty of a lot of things and this is the reason behind it and she's explained it very well, and I will definitely be posting up her article. So with that, you guys, you will be hearing me. <laughs> You're going to be hearing from me next week. As I said, love each other, love yourselves, spread some of that sweet, sweet love. Spread some of that sweet, sweet love towards Beauty Unlocked, the podcast. You can find us um, across social media. Send us your emails at beautyunlockedpodcast at gmail.com. I want to hear your opinions i want to hear your experiences i know that life is so difficult for all of us in many many ways and i want to hear those experiences and to those people that have been sharing uh, that have been sharing their experiences uh, by comments that they've made on facebook um, posts or have sent me like private dms or that have also commented on my Instagram, like on Beauty Unlocks Instagram page, you know, about their experiences with a variety of issues, uh, whether it be about colorism, about eating disorders, about the sexism they face, the inequality they face. Thank you so much for sharing. 
that with me because you are opening up a space for others to feel safe enough to also s express themselves and share their experiences. So as always, I hope you guys have a lovely weekend and a lovely work week ahead. Stay safe. As always, educate yourselves and just go within and notice any damaging behaviors that you have, any damaging language that you have or that you might have or that you might be experiencing. And let's kind of deconstruct this vicious cycle and let's really create a world of change because... If we want to change the world, we've got to change the way we see our outlook on things first. And then miraculous changes can happen all around us. So with that, you'll be hearing from me next week. Take care. Bye. Wow.